Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. you have your Bibles, go to the book of Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, and as you're turning there, let me give you a a quick recap over last Sunday to this one, um, that really the inspiration for this message is looking back over my testimony and what God's done through me, or for me, uh, and and looking to those moments when I encountered the presence of God, because if, if man, if we only encounter Uh, If we read scripture and there's no encounter, then nothing ever changes. You just get head knowledge. And so uh, I love a quote that I've recently heard that the Bible is the only book when you read the author shows up. And it's there's something meant to happen when you read scripture and when you pray. We don't just do it because it's a religious or a routine type of thing to do. But we do this out of out of affection and out of encounter. And, and thinking about what happened with the life of Moses, of when his life was transformed and he was br- literally marked. God branded him and what he branded him with was presence. You eventually read into the book of Exodus and you see where Moses tells God, he says, if you don't go with us, we're not going. In other words, if your presence doesn't go, I'm not going. How, how would some of the decisions in our life be if we just told the Lord, God, if you don't go, if, you don't, if you're not opening this door, I'm not going to try to force it open. I'm not going to kick it down. I'm going to let you direct. I'm going to let you lead. Instead of being selfish because humanity left to themselves is selfish in nature. Or could I take this a step further and say this, that humanity without Christ at the center is demonic in nature. Think about it. Humanity without Christ at the center is demonic in nature. Why? Because we're selfish. Who was selfish? Who was prideful? Satan himself. So it's important to know that it's not my will, but it's yours. And with the life of Moses, what we see is that he, when the Lord told him, he said, um, he said that the world will know that I am with you. How would they know that? Except that there was a cloud by day and a fire by night and signs, wonders, and miracles that directed. So God says, They'll know that I'm your God. They'll know. What is that? It's presence. It's the face of God. Presence and and face are interchangeable in the Old Testament. So when we cry out for the presence of God, we're asking for God's face. So I hope to be able to piggyback off of last week as I talked about the importance of the life of Moses. He was 40 years in the house of Pharaoh. And then he was, he killed a man. He saw one of his Egyptian brother, or excuse me, his Hebrew brothers being beaten. And so Moses kills the man and buries him, thinking that no one saw him. The next day, his two Hebrew brothers are fighting again. And so he comes and begins to try to split them up and say, you're going to kill us too. At that moment, he understood that they saw him. So he went on the run for 40 years. And Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And it's interesting that God, it seems like he didn't reach out to honor. Well, the scripture doesn't record that he made contact with him until around 80 years. Could it have been that 
He had tried to reach out to Moses within that 40-year span while he's in the wilderness. And I talked about what wilderness represents. It's a place where God begins to prune you. He begins to cleanse you, remove things from you, attitudes, and adjust you. It's a place where you rely supernaturally on God's provision because you're in wilderness. When you come into promise, then God will do something through you. But in the wilderness, he does things for you. All right, I'll leave that alone. But... I, I just really, with, with the life of Moses, and it's so, so powerful and so incredible. But when God is getting ready to transform your world or your situation, you can expect to see something that doesn't make sense. Truly. Because I talked last week, the first thing was contradiction. He saw something that didn't fit. He saw a bush on fire that wasn't fully consumed. So it didn't fit according to his normal, everyday narrative. And by the way, normal is just a story you tell yourself. I can't wait till things get back to normal. You need to redefine what normal really means because God is a God of change. The only thing constant in life is change. Transitions are going to happen. Not from male to female, by the way, but transitions are going to happen. I got to make sure and be clear on that. Transitions are going to happen. Male, female. Yeah, all right. I, didn't, I lost you. I was trying to be serious. I had the pads going. Everything was going well. But life is full of change, and we resist it. We fight it. Why do we fight change? Because God is constantly moving us from one glory to the next glory, to one faith to the next. That's the way it should happen, right? And so Moses sees the contradiction. The contradiction leads to revelation. We understand revelation is a revealing of what's already there. There's nothing new under the sun that God just, it's already there. God just lifts the veil and lets you see, right? And the closer you come to God, the more defined, the more distinct, the more you understand because you're drawing near. God's whole heart is for you to come close. Moses said, I must turn aside and go and see. And it wasn't until he turned aside that God reveals revelation. I believe it's a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ in the bush burning to reveal himself to Moses. And the revelation then produced a conversation. And that's where we are at right now. And we'll lead into this next portion the burning bush encounter is proof to us, all of us in this room, every person under the sound of my voice, that God still desires to use you regardless of what you've done. Moses was a murderer and a fugitive. He thought he had ran long enough to where they would forget, that he would forget, right? They would run to the point to where it's comfortable to be away from my past. I got to get away from it. I got to get away from it. But here's the problem. God will use anybody, but there will be a process in the process of returning. God has to take you through process. He takes you through wilderness seasons because he doesn't want you to be a voice of an echo, an echo of somebody else's voice, but to be a voice of one distinct of his. And this culture that we constantly live in right now where it's identity, we don't know who we are, we don't, know, uh, we don't understand these things about who we are, we're, we're looking for pop culture to define us by what they, the, the way they dress, the way they talk, places that you go, the specific jobs and all of these things. And so this really where this brings us into Exodus chapter 3 verse 10. And I'm going to continue right here. And this is God speaking to Moses. And he says, now come, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people. Now, this is interesting. I got to stop right here. The, the point of the encounter, Moses, is that. I am looking to send you back into your past to bring out a people. 
Isn't that interesting that God uses the very thing that you were devastated by and he sends you back into it with a different vibe, with a different presence on your life? There's a deliverance that you're bold to go back and confront that thing, but God says, I'm going to send you back to my people, the sons of Israel. Uh, It's interesting that we gather so many times on on services, and I'm not going to take shots at the church because I don't believe in that. I believe that we are the bride of Christ, and I believe the bridegroom's pretty upset about some of the stuff that pastors and leaders are saying over churches right now. I get it. Some of us, we're not there yet, but we're going to get there. All right, and so we're the we're, we're the bride we're the the bride. He's the bridegroom, and I just know if somebody's talking about my wife, it's fighting words. I'm just saying. All right, I'll leave that alone. Um, but here in this scripture, we see this that God is sending them back, and the point is, is that it's not one of these things. Moses, okay, what do you, what can you do for me? In our churches, we can't have that. Man, what can what are you going to get? What are you going to feed me today? I want to tell you that it's important that as a believer. Whenever I came into this house and and I recommitted my life to the Lord and things began to shift in my life, I'm going to give you a lot of my story this morning and testify because it brings the spirit of prophecy and testifies of the blood of Jesus and all those great things. But when, when the Lord got my attention back in 2009, everything began to shift for me and specifically... I begin to think about, man, I'm not going to do what I do. I'm not going to do this out of a place of, uh, for granted. I'm not going to take what, I'm, what I do for granted anymore. Um, but the, Philip Meek could not make me be discipled. He couldn't make me pursue God. He couldn't make me do anything. And so, but he couldn't stop me either. Not that he was wanting to, but I was thinking about this whole process, and I'm like, I just could not turn off the switch of when uh, pursuing God. I was podcasting. I was reading books. Still do these things. I was constantly looking to expand my capacity because if you give God a vessel, he'll fill it with oil. And so I was constantly looking to expand and grow and, and, and just push the, push the envelope and keep going. He couldn't stop me from coming on Sunday mornings at 530 and praying in the room. He couldn't stop me from coming during the week and helping with whatever need to be to, to, do, to do around. The, the church. He could not stop me because there was something in me that was drawing me to grow and to go to the next level. And so it's the same for us. It wasn't a thing of how can you, what can you feed me with? It was I learned how to self-feed. And you got to do that in the kingdom. You got to learn how to self-feed and not fully depend upon one person to feed. Yes, we come, we get agreement, we get fed. That's great. We want that. But how are you feeding yourself throughout the week? And he's telling Moses, I've got to send you back in. But I believe that Moses had developed in his heart. After this encounter, there was, this, there was a, uh, an insatiable desire for the presence. That even, that's when he goes, God, if you don't go, we're not going. I'm just telling you. Because you're providing. You are the one that's taking care. And so in you, there has to be this desire for those things. And, and verse 11 says this. It says, but Moses said to God, and we would often do this, who am I? Who am I? that I can go back to the king and tell them, you let the people of God go. Who am I, right? Here's the first one or a continuation for, so if you're filling in blanks, here's the first one. It's identification. Who am I? Who are you? Who are we? Specifically to myself. And what this means, identification simply means the action. Now, action. That means there's something you got to do. 
Uh, you, you can't sit idly by. There's something that I'm responsible to do. So it's the active process of identifying someone or something or the fact of being identified. And this is the problem that we're struggling with in many people's lives today. They don't know who they are. So they allow what's around them to define who they are. And instead of looking to Jesus, our elder brother, he, it's what the scripture says about him. He says he's our elder brother. He is the epitome. He is Christianity. He is revival. He is the one we look to. And Jesus demonstrates this and perpetuates kingdom expansion or filling the kingdom as he taught. So the way he prayed, how did he pray? Our Father. Father's a term of endearment. You may pray, Father God, bless this. You can say those things, but Father is a term of endearment. It's a term that when I say it, something, there's an affection in my heart. Father, Father, you can feel it because it's not just something you roll off your tongue that you heard Papa pray, Right? It's something that when I say it, there is a term of, it, it connects and all the, my fire, the, the fire of the Lord just begins to ignite in my heart and I approach him in a different way. And it's because Jesus is trying to show us the foundation of what it means to walk into the goodness of God is, is sonship. Now, ladies, it's the same. We're the bride of Christ. We're sonship, okay? So now we're equal, right? So... It's all about sons and daughters. It's all about, that's the found, that's who you are. And the problem is, is too many people get mixed up and misconstrued, uh, misconstrued their, their doing, well, well, you're a pastor, that's who you are. No, 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 let me clear this up for you because I don't care what culture says, I'm a son first. I'm a son. I have to understand that and there has to be revelation of that because that's how I'm identified. Problem is, is that pastors and leaders and those that are running churches, I believe with all of my heart, if they don't have revelation, revelation of sonship, then they're going to be orphans. Jesus said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. Too many people are identifying as orphans. Why? Because orphans compete. They constantly are vying for positions. They're upset because this one gets blessed. They're upset because there's a church. Can I, I'm clear this up. Is Asbury Methodist? It's a Methodist college, Correct. So there's a Methodist outpouring and you've got Pentecostals and Baptists and all the rest that are upset because they're getting, well, that's not real. No, no, no. No, let's honor that, right? God, thank you. That's brothers and sisters in the kingdom. That's who I'm identifying with. You need to check yourself. If you find yourself in a place of where you're jealous and you're envious of the blessing of the Lord on somebody else's life, then you're an orphan. Let's just call it what it is. And by the way, I'm going to roll that out the next, uh, I don't know if it's going to be next month, but we're going to be, I'm going to go into this whole orphans no longer. We're going, we're going to go after that orphan attitude and spirit that would try to bind the church because you're sons and daughters. That's what you are. You have to know that. But that can't be me telling you that. You have to encounter that by yourself. I remember when I was in, beginning my prayer journey and seeking God in prayer uh, in, in, in 2010, and, and I, I remember that for, the, for about a year, as my prayer, my prayer life began to grow and expand, I started off praying from the place of, and I'm, I'm going to say this in the right way because I just always wanted to go and do things, do things for God. What can I do? It, it's a slave mentality. It's nothing, it's okay, but you got to grow beyond it. So it's, there's always a doing in the kingdom, but you can't be doers until you're first beers. Don't say that, AJ. Do not be a beer in the church. We can't have beers in the church. You've got to, you didn't, see, if I'd have never said anything, you'd have never caught it. But no beer in this house. Let me just say that. Oh, it's hard to say. You've got to learn how to sit and just be at the feet of Jesus. Because that's where he identifies you. Mary, you chose the best part, Mary. I don't care if they ate the sandwiches, Mary, you chose the best part, right? 
Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. She was receiving, so she learned how to be. And from that place of like, oh, I was constantly wanting to do, I shifted and it just felt like one day, I can remember walking and pacing through that kitchen to the den, to the living room. And I remember it was just like a transformation that took place that I went from a slave to a friend, the friendship of God. Just the conversation felt like I was talking with my best friend. And then I went from friendship to around 2012, the latter parts, to reading Romans 8 when it talks about the sons of God in the earth. And there was a transition. I was understanding adoption. I'm adopted into the kingdom. I've been grafted into the kingdom of God. Then my whole prayer life took another turn because then I saw him for the first time. The veil was lifted and I understood father. I understood as the word Abba means Papa, right? Now, there's still a, a reverence and a, of his holiness because he's God, but I understood when I say Father, I just tell you, my heart just feels like it's, just, it's, it's, it's lighting up. So that's the way you have to progress in your journey with God in that regard, but you have to learn that you don't find identity from pop culture. Now, you can't find it. So many people are defining their acceptance in society from the likes of many on social media. How many uh, selfies can I put out and get how many likes, how many comments, how many shares can I get this because I need validation? The problem is, is that that's an orphan mentality. Can I give it to you? Come on, we're just going to preach this right now on a Sunday morning. Orphans, don't have that orphan mentality. You've got to move beyond that. That, has to, you, that, that can't be identified. But mom and dad can love on you and lead you in the right direction. You've still got to have an encounter. you still got to encounter Father. It's the only way that you can properly be identified. I study the life of Jesus. I look at the life of Jesus. Why do I do that? Because he's showing me the steps of how I'm supposed to walk and become a son. In the life of Moses, we can look and we can see. Imagine when God begins to confront him and says, you got to go back. All of a sudden, fear, a defeated mentality because he went on the run, the bondage that he saw his own people in. So this Egypt is a representation of all of these things. The guilt. Imagine the guilt. He's murdered somebody, okay? Some of you, 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 you struggle from time to time. This guy murdered somebody. The, the guilt that he is, no doubt, the feelings and the emotions that are rushing him right now when God says, I'm sending you back, right? And then also the confusion. Why would you send me back there? I escaped there to get away from there so that I could be here. And little did Moses know that for every year that he was in Egypt, God was using every year specifically to unpack and unload and remove Egypt from Moses' life. He couldn't have an Egyptian leader to go back into Egypt because you might fall prey to the same problems. I don't let me preach that this morning, right? How many times, oh, I'm good, I can go back into it, and you ain't ready. Pardon my grammar, but you're not ready. Oh, I, did, I could go into the bar right now and save them all, Pastor AJ. Don't you dare open a door. Don't dare open a door. Who, how, do you, how do you see yourself? If you don't know who you are, then you'll live in fear of man striving to become somebody that he never created you to become. You'll kill yourself to become somebody else. You can't know who you are until you know who that you belong to. I, I think about, for many of us, that right now you're in a place and your mind is turning. I can just see it on faces this morning because I understand you. Let me just say, I understand you. Let me just first prophesy to somebody in this room. You have nothing to prove to yesterday. I don't know who this is for, but I feel this. Hear the word of the Lord. You have nothing to prove to those people. 
Stop trying to gain acceptance from people that are constantly rejecting you. He moved you out of that situation for a specific purpose. Stop trying to revive a dead relationship because you're chained to yesterday, and that's chained to a wretched man. They're decomposing, and they're rotting, and they'll kill you if you keep going. God will say, all right, I'll let you go, but I feel like that's a word for somebody, not to your spouse. You don't cut loose from your spouse. Let me just, you got to be clear sometimes. Pastor Reggie told me I could just leave my spouse. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. God will call you back and confront your past, identified as a son instead of a slave. He sends Moses back as a son at this point. Why? Because he says, he says, I am your father. I'm the God of your father. He's identifying generations. He's not saying I'm the, I'm the, I'm the God of those slaves ahead of you, Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. He didn't. He said, I'm the God of your fathers. So he's inviting them into this movement that is supposed to be generationally and increase as it goes. Man, I could preach that. Revival is meant to increase people. It's not meant to die when it, when it happens. We got to steward well what God's blessed us with. For us, when Crystal and I stepped into a position back in 2017, I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with this specific because I just saw it and I was like, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I'm just, my mind's somewhere else. But God can encounter you in an instant, change all of the affections of your heart and the, tra- and the trajectory of your future, all because there's this moment of encountering a burning bush. Sometimes that burning bush is a marriage that has walked through hell and come out on the other side and they're refined and they love each other more than they ever did. Sometimes that that burning bush is an individual that you see in the community that has walked through death and walked through uh, uh, the problems and and they come out on the other side. It's like, man, I've got to turn aside to see. And obviously in our case, the church, that our church would become a burning bush to the region. Not not, Not against any other churches, but we know what we're called to do. Let's embrace it and run. And for us, what we understood in that moment, we, let me just say this, we, this, I, I job hopped growing up, okay, from, from 16 all the way up to 25 until I had no choice. I got married and she said, go to work. <laughs> if you want to know more on part two, come March the 8th and we will roll out some really good questions. So I was buckled down and God began to process me in that wilderness season of Scott's masonry, dear God. Thank the Lord for coming out of that. I love, I love them, by the way. Um, but I, I, this was not on my radar. This, this ministry was not, so I grew up in a small church. Well, I didn't, I just the pastor. That's all you got, right? And everybody else volunteered. I didn't see this world that God began to open my eyes to. And I wasn't choosing this. I told, we were talking Wednesday night. I said, we didn't choose this. God led us. We didn't ask for what we're being blessed with right now. God led us. It was the first time that I'm like, I'm completely blind on what is going on. You know, and I think God likes that sometimes. Give us vision on what we need to see, but keep us in the dark on the other stuff that we don't need to know, right? And so that's, that was, it, it, God just led us and directed us, and we started learning how to be, how to identify, learn who Jesus is, truly encounter him, and, and walk with him, and see the, the blessing of God, and under this ministry, here, let me tell you this, doing what you feel unqualified to do, that is what's going to qualify you. I came to a point where the Holy Spirit began to rebuke me because I was, I was apologizing to certain ones. Well, I'm sorry. I just didn't know that this was where God wanted me to buy. And the Holy Spirit got me, and I can't, I'm just going to paraphrase because I can't remember verbatim. But I remember him telling me, um, stop apologizing for where I put favor on your life and put you. 
stop. So I repented. I remember weeping that day. God, I'm sorry for apologizing for the favor on my life. For those of you that has favor on your life, stop apologizing for favor. God gave that to you, right? The favor of God, the approval of God upon your life so that you're blessing others. That's the point. Favor has a target, and that's not just you. It's looking to touch everybody around you and grow and expand because it points to the glory of God, not to the glory of man. All right. The most important thing that you can do is to think rightly about God. A.W. Tozer. The most important thing believers can do is to think rightly about God because the problem is we don't see him right. Again, this is all under the guise of identification. Once you begin to encounter him, he starts to define who you are through prayer, through scripture reading, and through encounter, and then you realize, oh man, I don't want to be anybody else. But in those encounters, God is revealing who he is to you. And then you start looking, and the problem is, is so many times, let me say this because we understand this. Now, some of you have experienced this to a, a deep, deeper level. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. Coffee shots on Sunday morning. That's going to happen. I believe it. Espresso shots. Shut up, AJ. Just keep preaching. All right. You know, my brain's going. Shoot the rabbit. Let's get back on track. All right. So... When something hits the fan in your life, do you immediately point your finger and shake your fist at God and say, where are you? Why are you not? Who am I that this could happen to? Or are you the one that it knocks you off your, your, your foundation a little bit, but then you find yourself crawling right back into the place of prayer and saying, God, this didn't catch you by surprise. Help me to think rightly about you in this situation. Because so many people abandon the goodness of God because of something bad that happens. God is still good. Forever will he be good. And we're only seeing one side of the story. There's another side to this. And it's called eternity. That is much longer than the span of your life. The brevity of human life is like this compared to eternity. We've seen it so much. I think about my mom. I think about the whole, what we've, even right now, just things that we've faced. And you look and you're like, okay, God. I know that you're good because I'm, I'm telling you, I've, I am digging in Psalms right now. You know, I, I, Psalms is the first book because it's praise. Can I praise God through storms? Can I, can I continue to worship him and declare the goodness of God even when I can't seem to see it? No, it's just when you close your eyes and you just say, I don't care what I see, you're still good. Moses is encountering God and God's sending him back into 450 years of Egyptian bondage. He's seen his brothers and we, we read over it. We, I, listen, I'm, I'm going to have to figure this out because I'm slow. I feel presence right now. But in, in, in the life of Moses, he's going back into where he's seen brothers and sisters, young children be put to work and, and beat and, 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 and I, uh, it's just horrible. I, I was watching a movie last night, and it was about uh, the arresting of, I can't remember the guy's name, that was one of the um, Adolf Eichmann that was responsible for six million Jews being put into concentration counts. And I was seeing some of the actual footage, and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, my, Christ, no, Chris, I was like, you need to look at this. She said, I can't look at that. And I said, I need to see this because I need, I, there, there's something in my heart that shifts. When I see that and think about in the life of Moses, he's watching his, his brothers be killed probably on a daily basis, be worked to death, literally worked to death. And God is sending him back to that. And he's saying, you're sending me where? Where are you sending me? Why are you sending me back there? Because Moses, your name means something. Your name carries an identity. 
You've been identified as a deliverer. I put a mark on you, and I'm sending you back into your past because now you're acquainted with their griefs. You're acquainted with their griefs so that you can speak into their lives. And, but I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to go with you. In, in Exodus chapter 4 and 1, I want to read this. It says, then Moses responds back to God after God has told him, I am the great I am. I am Yahweh, the Lord your God. I'll be with you. And he, says, he goes through this whole discourse. Moses then responds back with this, what if they? Because that's always a process of identification. It's the fear of man. We're, we're bound by fear of man. What are, what are they going to think about me if I lift my hands in service and actually worship or sing? What, are they, what, are they, what if they think I'm a hypocrite? Who cares what they think? I get it, but that's why I'm crying. God, deliver me from the fear of man. Lead me out of the fear of man and into the fear of God. But, but Moses is saying, but what if they? And that's always a sign that there is a fear of man looming around your mind. Okay? That is a sign. You struggle with the fear of man. We all do from time to time, but it can't grip you and direct your steps. Fear of man is a tactic of the enemy. Perfect love casts out fear, okay? So who's guiding and directing your life? In verse two, the Lord responded to Moses, and he says, after Moses says, what if they, God says, what's that? What's what, God? God says, what's that in your hand? So God redirects the fear of man to his power in the hand of Moses. What's that? Not what if they, what's that? What is that in your hand, Moses? Here's the second thing, application. Application. You go from identification to application. What do I do with what I have? What do you do with the talents God's placed in your life right now? Not finances. Remember when Brad Stewart and I were having this conversation about talents and about being used of God. It's not just the physical money. Yeah, we want to be able to use that and release it to God's kingdom so it fills the kingdom. But on the other side, the talents that you've been given, what are you doing with them? Because you're going to have to give an answer. You may be saved, but you're going to give an answer before God, before the white throne judgment one of these days with what did you do with what you had? Did you sit on what God had blessed you and gifted you, but you don't want it, Pastor, it's hard. No, 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 God's saying, what's that right now? I'm, I'm telling you, there are people in this room right now, God's saying, what is that? What have I put into your, oh, it's just the staff. I'd like to grab it, but I won't. What is that? That staff, well, I've carried this with me. I've been beating sheep with it because they won't line up. I've been walking around with it, busting snakes from time to time. You know, God says, what is that? And the Lord told Moses, he says, I want you to take that and I want you to throw it on the ground. Let me read verse 10 really quick because I feel like this applies with in this whole process. I'm the guy that has said this before. Please, Lord. I, I've never been eloquent of speech. I'm from the South. I say ain't a lot. You ain't. I say that all the time. You ain't nothing. What is that? Ain't, ain't. Told you. What is that? T-O-L-D-J-A, told you. <laughs> I'm slow as speech. I'm from Savannah, Tennessee. I try to work on my language, but I struggle, right? <laughs> no, and this is what Moses responds. He said, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you've spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. But then God responds back to him. As Azy said with what is that in your hand, he responds. He said, who made your mouth? Some of you that's given an excuse right now, oh, it's just false humility. I, I, it's humility before God. I'm nothing. Stop. 
Who made your mouth? Who made your hands? Who made you? You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you and he gifted you. Stop with the excuses right now, all right? Or who makes anyone unable to speak or deaf or able to see or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, I myself will be your mouth and instruct you in what you are to say. How powerful is that? This is what God spoke literally through my wife. Me and her were reading the same. It was, anyway, a while back, it was confirmation to me. But in this whole process, the problem is, is he's looking to Moses and he said, what's that into your hand? Moses said, well, it's just a step. He said, yeah, but I haven't put my hand on it yet. Some of you that are saying, well, this is just my gift or whatever that may be. I'll, let me just use myself. My, my little bit of ability to speak, little bit of ability to sing and to play and to really connect because I love people, except on Fridays and Saturdays. I'm just kidding. I got to stop. I'm trying to keep you in the moment. Um, but whatever little bit of gift that I've got, I'm saying, God, it's just this. But God says, yeah, but I haven't put my hand on you yet. Whenever you, God puts his hand on your hand, on that staff, whatever that staff is in your hand, there's an anointing that comes with it. And all of a sudden, it begins to go to nations, and it begins to impact a region, and it begins to impact a family and a community. It's more than just a gift in your eyes. When God puts his hand on you, something supernatural begins to happen because lives are touched and transformed. You don't stay the same. I got to... Keep moving. Little as much when God is in it. Verse three, the Lord tells him, he says, throw your staff on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it turned into a serpent and Moses fled. Exactly, I would have too. Probably wouldn't have picked it back up. I said, no, you turn it back into a staff and then I'll pick it back up, right? So I, this, I don't know how long this happened, by the way. We look at this, we don't really know how long it happened. But Participation, what does it mean? The action, just like application is the action, this is also the action of taking part. God is inviting you to partner with him into a place to bring about supernatural breakthrough. Number three, participation. Are you participating with God? I told you last week that revelation requires participation. When God reveals something to you, it's not to ooh and awe you so you can go tell all your hyper-spiritual friends, look what God spoke to me. No, God, if he reveals it to you, then it's his secret first to you. So don't go tell anybody yet until he tells you it's time. Again, he shares his secrets with his servants. That's a scripture. The intimate with, with God. So hang on to that because revelation will also require participation. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to broadcast it and tell them how much and what you can do. Because guess what? If God gave you the revelation and you're partnering with God, you're going to step into a powerful place of transformation before long. He's not going to hide you on the backside of nowhere for long. He's going to bring you out at some point when you've properly been processed so there's no arrogance and no pride, no lofty eyes, no haughty spirit. Is this too much on a Sunday morning? Probably is. I'm sorry, kind of. Um, but here's what I understand. And as we, we talk about this whole process, and it could really be all of it, but I really want to connect these two. Application, how do you apply what you know with participation Microphone, hang with me. Application, what that you have with participation, partnering with God will equal transformation. All right? Deuteronomy, and I'm getting ready to close, AJ, if you would. Deuteronomy 
chapter 34 and verse 7. We have just walked through this whole process with Moses before God and questioned, God, who am I? God walks through with him. They're back and forth on a discourse. But read this scripture. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, by the way, the first five books of the Bible. Look what it says in verse 7. Although Moses was 120 years old, it's another 40 years that God gave him from the burning bush. He was in the twilight years of his life, looking to retire, enjoy his 401K and his IRA, find a beach house somewhere or whatever, and then just joy relaxing. But God says, no, 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 no. I didn't call you to retire. We're going to refire this thing. And it says when he was 120 years old, when he died, his eyesight was not dim, somebody. Some of y'all, your eyesight. Moses was 120. Call it on yourself. His eyesight was not dim, nor had his vigor left him. Verse 10. I want to go to the next verse. Put that up if you would, Morgan. Since that time, check this out. Since that time, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So this scared to death prophet of God, that at the first was a murderer and was scared to go back into his past and confront those things that the Lord said, you're going to become a deliverer out of the very thing I've delivered you from. This became one of those that knew God face to face, intimately acquainted with God's presence. The one that God revealed himself to. And that Lord's, the, 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 way, the way that, I'm, I'm just, this right here wrecks me every time. But I want to bring you to something. You know how Moses said, but who am I? But I, I don't, my, what, what can I do? Let's go to Acts 7. I want to show you something and I'll close right here because this is for somebody. Acts 7 and verse 22, it says, and this is Luke writing the account of when Stephen is getting ready to be stoned. He's the first martyr. It says that, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. We knew that. And he was proficient. That means powerful. Proficient in speaking and action. He was competent or skilled in doing or using something that was given to him. How do you get to that point? The last point is transformation. God transforms you. He transforms your mind as you read scripture. It comes to life. It refires you, gives you grace and strength and ability through prayer, through word. Transforms you so that you can help transform others. He's trying to bring you to the point of transformation. You can't go from one to six or seven just like this. God is a God that will invite you to take steps. Right? I can't, as much as I love my wife, I can't jump from here to there. I get there a step at a time. God is bringing you from the contradiction to the revelation to a conversation that begins to produce identification. God is stepping one by one, one by one. And it all started at a place called a burning bush. I, want, I feel this. Let's take a moment in this room. What is it right now that you've been ignoring that looks simple, mundane, and normal? But it seems like it's not fitting. It's like, man, it's completely something different. Because God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to, he, he wants to reveal. He wants to identify you. 
He ultimately wants to bring transformation around you. Stand to your feet for just a moment. I feel like I know this, this week was more of a step-by-step teaching, but this two week, this is literally where God has led me in my personal life. I look back and I honor those moments of when it, I want you to, I'm serious, I want us all to think back to that moment, that last encounter that you had with the Lord. Think about the last encounter you had with the Lord. How long has it been? How long has it been since when you read that scripture that your heart began to break and weep? How long has it been since you heard that worship song privately by yourself and your heart began to break and you begin to weep? Because encountering the presence of God unravels you. He's the God, he's the creator. He's powerful. So when you encounter him, things change. I mean, it's like you literally feel like, I I think about moments in my life that I've encountered God's presence to the degree. I'm like, God, you're going to have to stop. This is too much. I can't, this physical body can't take it. And I weep and I cry. And and then after it's over, it's like, man, I wish I'd have just told him, come on, more, (laughs) more. If you would bring the lights down for just a moment, I want to pray with you. I feel uh, specifically that some of you are, I know, well, I know that some of you are in in these stages. And you're trying to navigate through, figure out, what's my next step, God? What, What am what, what am I supposed to do beyond this part right here? And I'm here to tell you, I don't know exactly where you're at, but the scripture says that God orders your steps. And that God is directing your feet right now. Some of you need to repent for taking hold of the reins of your own life. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.